there was a, a Super Bowl ad uh, for Snickers 10 years ago where a bunch of guys were uh, playing pickup football and they were all muddy and they're you know, playing and doing all the things that you would expect in a, a pickup football game with a bunch of guys. But then all of a sudden there's this old lady with gray hair running through the field, uh, running like this pass route, and then the quarterback throws the ball to her, and she just kind of doesn't look like she knows what she's doing, and the ball comes by her, and then this big guy comes and tackles her into the mud, and she's just kind of like, oh, what's going on? And then the team huddles up, and then she, the guys are talking to her, and uh, some says, Mike, what's the deal? And she whines, saying, oh, come on, man, you've been riding me all day. And then somebody says, you're playing like Betty White out there. And the, the old lady actually is Betty White, the, the American actress who's uh, playing this uh, old lady in the field. And then uh, she keeps complaining, kind of, and the guys are like, oh, you know, complaining about her. And then a girl comes running out from the bleachers and starts talking to him and, and hands her a Snickers. And she's kind of like, what? And she bites into it. And then the girl says, better. And when the camera goes back to Betty White, it's now a young man who says, better. Uh, and the whole point of the commercial uh, it ends by saying, you're not you when you're hungry. And it says, Snickers satisfies. And there's a whole bunch of these Snickers commercials, and you've probably seen them over the years. And they all end with this saying, you're not you when you're hungry. And a lot of them, there's a whole bunch of sayings that they have. Some of them say, uh, because you're a diva when you're hungry. Or because you're a cranky old man when you're hungry. Or because you get a little angry when you're hungry. You know, there'll be these famous actors or famous people that we know that are like, complaining or whether there's one with Joe Pesci and there's ones with people that are kind of like known to be divas or whatever kind of complaining in, in these situations or uh, people say because you get a little angry when, you hu when you're hungry or because you get a little whiny when you're hungry because you get a little loopy when you're hungry and then they all end with well Snickers satisfies because people are like you know eat this and they're like better you know Snickers satisfies and so see, but also see if you can complete this sentence the best part of waking up is Folders in your cup. We all know that little like the best part of waking. You know that we all have that little jingle, jingle in us. The best when you wake up, the best thing that you could look forward to is this cup of coffee. Folders in your cup. It's the best thing. And the goal of most advertisers uh, is to tell you this. You know that that problem in your life that needs fixing. You know that that hole in your life. You know that the thing you've been longing for? You know that discontentment that you feel? Well, we have the fix for all of that. We have that, that ache, that longing, that, that thing that you just feel is missing. We have it. We have the thing that could fix it all. Advertising is trying to get you to feel, if only I had that, then I would be satisfied. Life would be as I want it. And we do that in our life without advertisers telling us it. We think... If only I had this, then I would be satisfied. If only I had more of this, then I'd be satisfied. If only I had less of this, then I'd be satisfied. If only I had a bigger blank, I'd be satisfied. If only I had a better blank, then I'd be satisfied. And we may say, if only I had more free time or more money. If only I had less responsibility. If only I had less to do. If only I had less cranky kids. If only I had a bigger house or a bigger bank account. If only I had more respect or more uh, people telling me how much they admire me. If only I had a better car or a better spouse or better kids or a better job, then I would be satisfied.
then things would be as I want them to be. And I would just feel good about my life. Well, we're in our seventh week of this sermon series called Good News with an Exclamation Point. And this is all focused on the gospel, the good news about who God is and what he's done through Jesus Christ. And our world has changed with this pandemic and everything happening. But what we're focusing on this series is that who God is and who we are because of him hasn't changed. And right now, as I said, as we began today, is that we're covering the four G's. And these are four truths uh, that tell us how we'd live if we believe these truths. And they're, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. We've covered those two. And God, God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. And if we believe the truth about God at the beginning... The fruit in the second part is what we would see in our lives. And today we're focusing on God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. If you want the little card we've been using, um, they're over here on the table. You can come grab one. Most of you, I passed them out when you walked in, but you can grab one over here on the table if you want to have all those in front of you. Um, But God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. And if you want a a little tree diagram, is up here, but there's also the ones... Uh, on the table here that most people got by the song books, but you can use that to take notes as we go along today uh, if you'd like to use that. We're, we're going to start um, by positively defining what it means for God to be good. And so we're going to start, if you're looking at that tree diagram, we're going to start here. Often we've started up here, which is labeled number one, but we're going to start here. Uh, what does it mean that God is good? And what does it mean for God that God does good, that he is a good Uh, a good being, a good person. So who God is and what God does. and But this is going to help us understand what does it look like when we're not believing that. And so what's true about God is? What's true about who God is? Simply put, God is good. But what does that mean that God is good? We might be like, well, okay, good. I hear that word a lot. What does that mean? Well, God's goodness can be thought of as like this summarizing attribute of God. In in his great book, Knowing God, uh, J.I. Packer says it this way. You know, if you want to pick up a book that's a really good way for you to grow in your your knowledge of God, Knowing God is a good, you know, the title kind of says it all, but Knowing God would be a good place to start. It's a book written um, for people in the church to get to know God. But he says it this way, J.I. Packer says it this way, Goodness in God as in human beings means something admirable, attractive, and praiseworthy. When the biblical writers call God good, they're thinking in general of all those moral qualities which prompt his people to call him perfect, and in particular of the generosity which moves them to call him merciful and gracious and to speak of his love. And then he goes on to say that we call uh, God good as a way of describing the, the, t- the sum total of his revealed excellencies. Like to say God is good, it's like the sum total of all the revealed excellencies of God. It's like everything that makes him worthy of praise. A.W. Tozer, another uh, man who wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, is just this book about all God's attributes. He says, The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent and full of good will toward men. He's tender-hearted and quick and of quick sympathy and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank and friendly. 
By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. He takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. And both these authors, uh, as they're talking about what does it mean for God to be good, they, they both went to talk about that God is generous and he delights in the happiness of his people. He has this disposition towards human beings that desires our happiness, that he takes this pleasure and he has this generosity towards us. And a passage that we've already referenced in this series in Exodus, uh, Exodus 33, Moses asked God, uh, he said, please show me your glory. One of the four G's that we just covered last week, God is glorious. And God responded by saying, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And then he put Moses in the cleft of a rock, like this little hole on the side of a cliff. And then he passes by Moses, and he proclaims his name and his attributes. In Exodus 34, 6-7, God says this. So this is how God makes all his goodness pass before him. And this is a fulfillment of Moses' request to, for him to see God's glory. God says this, The Lord, the Lord, so that's his name, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So to say God is good means he is all of these things, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands to those who love him, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is God's generous, gracious disposition toward his creation. That's his attitude. He's generous and gracious and merciful towards us when we respond to him, to that way he is. When we're saying, yes, I want to be forgiven, we say, I'm turning towards you and I want to receive that. But God's goodness is also expressed in the fact that he does not let the guilty go unpunished. Those who hate him, who reject his ways, will face the consequences. And he would not be good if he did otherwise. A judge can, someone cannot be good if they let evil go unpunished. That cannot be good. And you see God's generous disposition towards his creation expressed in passages like Luke 6:32 through 36, where Jesus is saying, you know, what good is it uh, if you are going to love people who love you. Here's what love looks like when you love your enemies. Look, God love, makes the rain and the sun come down on both the evil and the just. And we need to be merciful as your Heavenly Father is merciful, that God is good and generous towards everybody without, uh, without showing favoritism. Um, and so God is being good to everybody uh, in that way. And so when we think about that's who God is. God is good. He has this attitude of goodness towards all his creation. Uh, but then there are some in, who reject that in the long run. And there's some who say, yes, I'm going to respond to you with faith uh, in the long run, who will be, uh, um, be able to receive his grace um, for eternity. But then, so, okay, so that's who God is. He's good. So what does God do? God desires good for us. If God is good... And all he does, and all he is, is good. He desires good for us. God does good. He does nothing but good to us. And God never does bad. God never does evil. He desires good. He does good. He does nothing but good. 
and he never does bad. He's someone we can always count on in any situation, even if you feel like, man, this doesn't, this doesn't feel good right now, what's going on in my life. If you could see it you know, from a full bird's eye view perspective, a God's view, you would be like, okay, like there was no bad done in this. God never did bad. You would always, you know, sometimes you walk away from a situation and you're like, you know, my boss, uh, they did these, this part well, but this part they could have handled better. If you could see things from God's perspective, you would always be like, God handled that in the best possible way. He did good. There would never be a like, well, he could have done this better. And our big idea for today is that God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. And so we'd also say that uh, God satisfies. God always satisfies. And so let's think about this idea that God satisfies. When, when we get together with people... And they know they just did, and we know they just did something or experienced something. What do we usually ask them? Well, how was it? How was it? Someone tells us they tried out the new restaurant in the square, and we ask, "Well, how was it?" And they give us their evaluation of how it was, whether it was good or bad. They tell us what was satisfying, what was unsatisfying. Well, the food was good, but the service wasn't very good. They were slow, or they were not friendly. Someone just got back from vacation, and we ask, well, how was your vacation? Pretty good. You know, I'm going to use the word good. We probably would try to spice it up a little bit and you not use good over and over. But, you know, how was your vacation? Pretty good. The drive was really long, which made the kids cranky, but the hotel was good. We have, had a lot of really good food. Overall, it was a really good time. You know, we use this word good and, or bad in the way we evaluate things. We evaluate our satisfaction with things by how good they were. After a good movie, we tell our friends, that was good. After a good meal, we sit back and say, ah, you know, that was good. You know? And we do that because it was satisfying, it was enjoyable. We had a desire, and that thing satisfied it, whether it's entertainment or a feeling of being together or thirst or hunger. And you can also be satisfied or dissatisfied with a relationship. We're either drawn towards relationships with people or we are repelled away from relationships with people, depending on who they are. People attract or repel us. And when your phone is ringing, and you take it out of your pocket, and you see the name of who's calling, you are immediately more or less inclined to answer the phone, depending on the name you see on the phone, because relationships either attract or repel us. And so we're either let more or less satisfied by a relationship there there's a there's a goodness and badness to it and so we're drawn towards people or repelled by people and when it comes to god we are satisfied both by who he is and what he does one of the pri- as a as a person one of the primary ways satisfaction is expressed is is joy you know when you have your phone and it shows up it's like it's a telemarketer not good, you're not like, woo telemarketer. You know, with joy you answer it. Or maybe it's like a sibling that you've been in a lot of fights with. Ugh. You know, it's Uncle, I don't know, whoever, Christoph calling again. Ugh, I don't really want to answer this. Or if it's some friend that's calling that's like, oh, I haven't heard, you know, heard from them in so long. Like, they're, you know, it's a joyous relationship. You really want to pick it up. Like, depending on the amount of joy you have with that person, that's going to draw you towards wanting to uh, pick it up. When it comes to God, uh, our satisfaction is expressed in joy. We enjoy God. We enjoy who He is. And when we think about Him, uh, joy fills our heart. That's how we know whether we're satisfied in Him. 
when we read scripture or hear a sermon about him, we rejoice that we rejoice that he is our God, our shepherd, our king, our father. And if we are satisfied in that relationship, we, we're thinking, I couldn't be happier to have him as my God, as my father. That's my God. I belong to him. And he calls me his child. And the Bible uses very experiential language to talk about our relationship with God. And you, you think, uh, this we're supposed to feel our relationship with God. It's not all just like, I just need to know the right stuff. It's just all about knowing things and being able to dissect stuff. But it's supposed to be a very feeling relationship. And so, just a couple examples. The Psalms are a really great place to look for this. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So do you think about uh, heaven or being with God or having a relationship with God as fullness of joy or pleasurable, pleasures forevermore? Sometimes when we think about heaven, it's like, well, that's going to be a bore fest, like being with God and singing his praises. Uh, He says, this is David, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 23, 1 through 2. This is Psalm 23, great uh, Lord is my shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning, no, no desire I have will be left unsatisfied. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Meaning, he brings me to the places I need to find my satisfaction. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So very experiential. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. This is a comparison, an image comparison. As a deer pants for flowing streams. And so imagine a deer who's just been running and running and running. I need a drink as it's panting. You know, or imagine a dog that's panting. It's like, you need a drink of water, buddy. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, 1 through 8, that we read earlier. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So, like you're in a desert and you're just parched. You need something to drink. And then he goes, I'll skip down a little bit says in verse 5 my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food so like when it's like oh that is just i just really desiring whatever your favorite food is like my you know my mouth is just watering for it he says my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and every other good thing that we experience in life is only a taste of how much god satisfied he created all those good things to point to his goodness and all the desires of our heart are satisfied by God. Uh, uh, There's a a God-sized ache and longing in each of us that only God can satisfy. And the uh, the theologian and pastor um, from early centuries of the church said it this way. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. That our, our hearts, there's a restlessness, there's a longing, there's an ache that can only be satisfied, that can only find their their rest until we find their rest in you, as St. Augustine. And so we read earlier in Matthew chapter 13, turn back to our passage, 
chapter 13, verses, verse 44. That's our passage for today. Uh, Emma read for us uh, extra two verses, but Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. If Jesus had an advertisement for the kingdom, I mean, he had many advertisements, but think about Jesus, you know, his Super Bowl ad is like, I want you all to feel that you need this in your life. This is the answer to all your issues, all your problems. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Here's Jesus' advertisement. He says this, you know, picture the, him having a guy walking around, and this is like his Super Bowl ad of like, if this was to be kind of made into a commercial. Jesus' advertisement for the kingdom is Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And in this short parable, there's a field that's owned by somebody, a man who's most likely employed by that person that owns the field. He's working the field, and as he's working it, uh, he stumbles upon a treasure. And sometimes people... uh, I mean, the land of Israel was taken over a lot, and so sometimes people would bury their possessions or their money around, so, okay, like, we're being invaded by these people now, and sometimes they bury their possessions. And this guy is working the field, he stumbles upon a treasure, uh, and so he puts it back, and then he goes and just sells everything he has in order to buy this field from the owner so that now the treasure that is in that field now belongs to him because he owns the field and now he has it. He has nothing left except that field with that treasure. And so that's Jesus' Super Bowl ad. He would just have this guy in this scenario and he would be advertising the kingdom to us. And Jesus is giving his listeners a view of God and a relationship with God where he, where we are supposed to see God as the ultimate good. This is a view of God as the ultimate good that we would want to give up anything to have. If you have this, you have everything you need. You don't need anything else. You, this is the thing that you should sell everything for and give it. It's saying, like, if you're looking for something that's the best thing you could ever have, you should sell everything else. You know, what you've been looking for, this is worth more than all the other junk you've been buying. Sell all the other junk you've been buying and get this one thing. Ooh, wouldn't that get you kind of, kind of get your eyes, what, what's this advertisement about, like, Okay, this is the treasure beyond all treasures. Sell all the other stuff you have is worthless in comparison. Just get rid of it so you can get this one thing. This is Jesus' advertisement for a relationship with God and his kingdom. It should leave us saying, if only I have that. If only I had that, then I would have the best thing and I wouldn't need anything else. I should just, at all costs, I should get rid of whatever I can. Anything else is standing in the way, I should get that. Jesus is saying, God is good, so you don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. If you have him, you have the thing that satisfies. All the other stuff is not satisfactory in comparison to him. And God is so good that we would give up anything to have him and to have more of him. And John Calvin, uh, a pastor from the 1500s, wrote, he said it this way, If God contains the fullness of all good things in himself, like an inexhaustible fountain, nothing beyond him is to be sought by those who strive after the highest good and all the elements of happiness, as we're taught in many passages. So he calls him the fountain of all good. He says nothing beyond him is to be sought if we're striving after the highest good. And he says this taught in many passages, and he gives, goes on to share a bunch of examples. The fountain of all goodness. 
But the problem is that we don't always believe this about God. And we don't always live like God is the best thing that we can, in whom we can find our satisfaction. And so look, let's look at, so we've been describing God as this highest good. Let's look up here at what does it look like when we don't find our satisfaction in him? What does it look like when we find our satisfaction elsewhere? And sometimes we're, we're looking for satisfaction elsewhere, and sometimes we're looking everywhere but God, if we're honest. And we're choosing other things over God. This is called idolatry. It's worshiping things that are not God. If you've never heard that term, idolatry, it means worshiping things that are not God. It means worshiping false gods, worshiping created things rather than the creator. And so how do you identify where you look for satisfaction? How do you know what you're looking to for satisfaction? What are, what are those idols, those false gods you look to? And so the first way you can think about it is, what do you turn to for comfort, relief, relaxation, and rest? What do you turn to for comfort, relief, relaxation, and rest? What do you turn to for comfort, relief, relaxation, and rest? And so think about this scenario. It's been a really long, frustrating day or a really long, frustrating week. I just want to blank. It's been a really long, frustrating week. I just want to blank. And you know, for me, if I'm honest, I just want to veg out and watch some TV show on Netflix. It's been a really long, frustrating day. Or I'm just tired, I just want to go watch a TV show. And that's often what I look to for satisfaction, for comfort, for relief. So this is this week, this of the of the messages in this series so far, this has probably been the most challenging one for me personally, of like, okay, and we're gonna get to another question that was really challenging for me earlier. As I wrote this, I was like, Okay, yeah, this has been uh challenging. Um yeah, it's, if it's been a really frustrating long, frustrating, I'm tired, I just want to blank. And, or you can ask, what are, you know, what are things you're addicted to that you just can't seem to stop? Or what are coping strategies that you have? Uh, what do you, coping strategies are what you turn to when you're stressed or frustrated? What do you turn to when you're in pain? Or what do you crave after a long and stressful day? Where do you go for relaxation and relief and rest? And these are the things that we saw in Psalm, like Psalm 63 and Psalm 42. These are the things we hunger and thirst for that the Psalms were talking about. Or where we find our rest and refuge. These are things that we're looking to for satisfaction. And some of them are good. Good things that God gave us that we're not supposed to just be like, okay, you know, the extreme is like, okay, I just cannot enjoy any created thing. That's not true. Because God gave us creation as a good thing. Some things are bad that we look to. So we're not supposed to do some of the things that we do. That God says those are completely off limits. But there are good things that we can enjoy. I don't think it's wrong to watch TV. That this is just, some of them are, there's some things that we shouldn't watch on our computers or on TV. Um, but there's some things that are totally fine to watch. There's some, there's things that are okay for us to do. There's good things that God gave us and they're enjoyed by people in the Bible um, and it's not sinful 
but the it's when good things become ultimate things. It's when good things become God things. It's when we replace God with those things and look to them to be our to do for us what only God can do for us. It's when we turn to those things first and foremost, and when we cut God out of our lives in favor of those things. And we often sacrifice our relationship with God to in to do those things. And so we think about you know, what will you do? And you think about, uh, it's been a really long or frustrating week, and I just want to blank. You know, what will you do to make that thing happen? And what will you not do to make that happen? So it's like, okay, you this week has been long and frustrating, and here's the thing I just want to do. Will you not pray and not read your Bible, and will you not come to things with your church community, and will you not attend a worship gathering in order to have that thing? All the things that... Uh, God says, this is how you connect with me, and will you skip those things in order to have the thing that you are craving and longing for? That's when we're putting uh, God, uh, those things before God. It's the opposite of what Matthew 13:44 says. Instead of uh, finding joy in giving up things to get more of God, we'll give up God to get these other things. Or we'll say, maybe you find satisfaction. I just need to work more. I just need to make money and so I feel more secure and I find more comfort and relief in like just getting things done and so I'm just going to do that because that's where I find satisfaction and we'll do that instead of saying I'm just going to find my joy and satisfaction in God I'm going to go seek him but we'll give up God and the things of God in order to have those things that's when we're putting those things above God and the second thing is that's where we turn for comfort relief relaxation or rest and the other thing, way we can identify what we're look, where we're looking for satisfaction is, what do you complain about? What do you complain about? What do you grumble about a lot? What do you complain about a lot? That's your, like, if only. You think, if, if only life were this way, then I'd be satisfied. If only I had this in my life, or if I only had less of this, I only have more of this. Then I'd have comfort, I'd have relief, I'd have rest, I'd be satisfied with my life. What do you grumble and complain about? It could be something at home, something at work, something about a person. It's like, this is what I grumble and complain about. Everything would be as it should be, and I'd be satisfied. And it doesn't matter, and the bad part about this is it doesn't matter if we have God or not. It could be like, you call yourself a devoted Christian, but you're still grumbling and complaining. It's like, you already, we already have God, but we're still grumbling and complaining that life is not good enough. Because we already have the thing that Jesus says, you should just give up everything to get God. And we already have God, but we're still grumbling and complaining that life isn't good enough. So we have the thing that should be the greatest treasure to us. But we're still complaining. And so we don't really, we show that we don't really care that we have Him. Our life, we're saying, my life still isn't complete. I know I have you, God, but my life still isn't complete. I still need these other things. There's something that we think is better than Him. This has been convicting for me to think about. And so are we saying we need more things. And so the first thing what we're looking to when we're looking to other things is showing we have a dissatisfaction with who God is. We're just saying, you just aren't good enough. I'm going to look to something else. And the second thing, what we grumble and complain about, exposes a, a dissatisfaction both with who God is, you're not good enough, and with what God does. Your will, what you've given me in my life isn't good enough. We don't believe he does good to us. We're dissatisfied with his will for our life. You need to put other things in me. And so we'll actually pray and ask God to give us our idols 
God, I want to have more of this, I want to have less of this, please give it to me, because I want my idol, you to give me the, the false gods that I'm worshiping in my life. And if we think about this, you know, what's, what's your perfect day, or what's your perfect week, if it's like, oh, you know, if you could just map it out, just, you know, sit back and close your eyes and imagine it, this would be my perfect day. This would be my perfect week. It would, go like, it would go like this. I'd wake up like this. Maybe it would be the best part of waking. You'd have folders in your cup. Maybe they'll hire me. No, they probably won't. Uh, and this has been an advertisement, but maybe like, I have folders in my cup. My dog would be there by my side. It's my perfect day. My kids wouldn't scream. I have all these things. When you get to the end of that day, uh, you've just imagined what heaven would be like for you. My perfect day would be this. My perfect week would be this. And you've just imagined your heaven. And the question is, is that how God describes heaven? And was God included in that perfect day? Was God included in that perfect week? And does that perfect day or perfect week include God's people? And does it include worshiping God in it? And life in heaven, how God describes it, it's not all just you know, a big worship service. Uh, because new creation is going to be a lot of like what we do here, living on a newly created planet and doing a lot of things we do now. But every time the Bible and God and the writers of the Bible try to picture of how this is how awesome heaven and the new heavens and new earth and new creation is going to be. We're going to be with God. We're going to be with all of God's redeemed people, and we're going to be praising and worshiping God. Every time they're trying to get at, like, let me tell you how awesome this is going to be. And if when we imagine our perfect day or our perfect week is like, I'm not going to have any people to deal with. I'm not going to have any screaming kids. I'm not going to do any of that boring singing stuff. You know, if we, if you know, if our perfect day or perfect week doesn't include God or the Bible or singing or being with God's people, like, we need to readjust, like, well, what are we really satisfied by? And we need to think through that. And so maybe take a moment and write down what is it that you're looking to for satisfaction hopefully you've been thinking about it along the way what is it you're looking to for satisfaction think of that in your mind and write it down this shows, what does this show we believe about ourselves? Instead of we're going down, what does this show we believe ourselves? About ourselves is that I am the one who defines what is good. Instead of letting God define what is good, that he is good, and here's what you should long for and be satisfied by, it's like I define what is good, and here's the good things I want in my life, and I want you to give it to me, God, or I'm mad that you're not giving it to me. We take God's place instead of receiving him as the greatest good and his will for our lives and what's best for us we want we don't rejoice in that we we define good on our own terms and what are we saying that god does well we're saying god you don't satisfy god doesn't satisfy god doesn't delight god doesn't relieve god doesn't comfort god doesn't bring joy doesn't give rest because we're not going to him we're going to other things god you just don't satisfy You don't relieve me, you don't comfort me, you don't give me rest, you don't bring me joy. We're going to other things to get that. 
So what are we saying about who God is? We're saying God is not satisfying. God is not enjoyable. God is not delightful. And can you imagine saying this to a person? Like saying this to the person next to you. You know what? You're not satisfying. You're not enjoyable. You're not delightful. You're not restful. You're not comforting. You're not relieving. And I would just rather watch Netflix instead of talking to you. And can you imagine that? Like we're, when we're going to these things instead of God, we are saying, God, you are less enjoyable than blank. Whatever the thing is we put above him. But the good news, we can repent, we can turn from this, and we can believe the good news. It's a, you know, it's a biblical command to rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3.1 says, Rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 34.7 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And because it's a command, it tells us three things, at least three things. God expects us to find joy in Him, and so to not rejoice in Him tells us to not enjoy God is disobedience. It also tells us there's a reason to rejoice. There's always a reason to rejoice. If we're told to rejoice in the Lord, there's always a reason. God is good. He does good. There's always a reason to rejoice. So there's hope. Thirdly, it tells us that God enables us to find joy in Him because God enables us to obey all of His commands. And so we are not alone in it. And the good news is that God is better. That you know, that should tell us, if God tells us to rejoice in Him, all these other things we're looking to, that re- let's rejoice in the Lord. There's something, He is better than all of these things. There's this famous quote um, by C.S. Lewis, who was an author uh, in the 20th century. He says this, uh, The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We're told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. In nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is not part of the Christian faith. So he's just referring to some philosophers there. So he's saying that's from philosophers, not from the Christian faith. He goes on and says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And a holiday at the sea is just a British way of saying a vacation. So he's saying, like, we are offered infinite joy. It's like, you know, a kid that's like, you know, I'd just rather keep playing with a cow pie here. You know, I'm okay. And a cow pie in a slum is like, hey, we want to take you on a vacation out to the you know Pacific Ocean, you know. No, I'd rather play with my mud pie in the slum here. And it's like, no, that what we're doing here is trying to find our jo- our joy and our satisfaction in created things. It's like created things, and what he's saying is like created things can give us sometimes a little like spark of satisfaction, 
but they can never reach down deep. They're not capable of bearing the weight of the expectations we're putting on them. It's like coming to it and hoping that our, you know, on the joy meter, the satisfaction meter, that they'll hit up to God level, and they always just, eh, eh, eh. they never hit the level of God's satisfaction. So we always come away disappointed. And he's saying, you know, your desires are not too strong. They're too weak. We're being t- far too easily pleased. He's saying infinite joy is offered to us. And so God is good, and we don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. And who and Jesus is the one who was he was inviting people into satisfaction in God, and He's the one who makes a way for us to have this relationship. That we have been doing this, we've been looking for satisfaction in all, uh, other things. That this idolatry, the whole Old Testament says, this idolatry is terrible. It earns you death. That you have rebelled against God, and Jesus says, I'm paying the penalty for that, so you can come back to God. And Jesus uses this exper- ex- uh, experiential language all the time. Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. John 4, 13-14, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 6:35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John 10.10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so who are we? We are not the definers of what is good. We need to be the receivers of the one who is good, and the receivers of the good that he does to us. And then we rejoice in that, and we are satisfied in it. And the fruit in our life is look at the Apostle Paul is somebody who he had found, you know, we talked about this treasure being found in a field, and the Apostle Paul was a man who had found that treasure. And just what he said in Philippians 3, he said that he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is loss. He counts everything as loss. And then what would it look like if we're living that way? What would be the fruit if we're counting everything as loss? He says later in Philippians 4, he says he has this, this church that's helping him out and sending him money and stuff. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. They sent him some money. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But then he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so if we're, what happens for Paul is he's satisfied in the Lord. I count everything as loss in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It's like when we're going to things and we're trying to be satisfied in creative things, it's like it's never going to fill us. But when we're finally satisfied and filled up and finding our joy and our delight in God through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now it's okay, I'm full, and now I can actually be content and I can actually enjoy created things because now I'm not looking for them to meet this deep down desire that they'll never be able to meet. And I'm not always grumbling and disappointed and complaining because I'm looking for them to meet a God filled or a, a, a God level desire that they never can. It's like if I'm looking at all of you to try and meet uh, a desire that is only is like God level, you'll never be able to meet it. Like, you can't. 
or if I'm looking for food or movies or whatever to, okay, so at the end of my day, I've had a long, hard day, go to watch a Netflix episode or something, it's like, well, that was disappointing. You're going to have a meal, well, that's disappointing. You're just always going to be disappointed and dissatisfied. Once we're filled up on God, satisfied by Him, now we can actually enjoy creation. And it's not that we will never be disappointed or sad. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Is that we can see this world for the brokenness and the pain that's there and still rejoice in, in the Lord and be satisfied. So, in closing, I just want you to think, as we've done the last three times, of the four G's. Is there anybody, you know, if you think about your life, is there anybody you know that's, um, we talked about those two things, uh, feeling dissatisfied with their life, or, you know, this week, just be praying, God, open my eyes to people that are looking for satisfaction in, in other things, and then you can be, be witness with your testimony of saying, you know, I'm, I was looking for satisfaction in this, and then I heard, you know, I learned about this, this has really helped me, and you can pass the 4G's card on to them, they're over here on the table, you can grab one, and you can have this opportunity to share your testimony with them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, for always doing good, that we can count on you. Would you let us be witnesses of who you are, what you do. In your son's name we pray. Amen.